Hey guys, welcome to the Bagging Broadcast, episode number 479. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. We're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being The Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list, the comic books that we are looking forward to coming out April 27th. 2022. Then we follow it up with our weekly rotating topic, and this week it's a John baby. So, John, what do you want to call this one? Um, uh, uh, wasn't expecting this, didn't have a title in mind. Uh, I, I call it. What's the uh, elevator pitch for it? <laughs> following our favorites. Uh, what writers and artists are people that over the years have kind of won our trust and will check out anything that new projects that they're doing. You want to know what I was going to call it? What were you going to call it? Comic Book Viagra. What gets you up and keeps you up. <laughs> See, that's why you do that part. And I, you know, wasn't expecting uh, to be thrown that. Hey, hey, it's okay. Cheers, bud. But what I am expecting is having a nice beer. And by gosh, I'm having an old classic. This is Boddington's Pub Ale. Smooth and creamy. A uh, little bit of nice, a nice little bitter on it. Just, just a really nice drinking beer. There's, there's not much to break down about it. No, it's always like a welcoming sight just when you see that like nice, tall, like yellow can. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, I know this is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see those little bees and you're like, yeah, I, I can go for a Boddington's and... That's kind of where I was. I've been I've been eyeing these four packs. They've been out of stock forever. We they just went back out of stock. Uh, I had a couple on my shelf, and I was like, you know what? For seven ninety nine, I can get a four pack of Boddingtons and be quite a happy boy. Nice. Chris, uh, you also are drinking a beer. I am, and I'm also a happy boy because I got to spend the evening at one of my favorite Orlando-based breweries. Uh, so the three beers I have tonight are all going to be from there. And this is from Ellipsis Brewing. And I'm starting off with a beer that they put out pretty recently. It was actually part of their third anniversary party. And I'm starting off with their What in the Hello. And this <laughs> is a Pineapple Lemonade Berliner Weiss. Um, mm. 6% ABV. It's definitely a little bit further on the lemonade side than the pineapple. But the pineapple kind of breaks up that tart with like that a little bit of like a tropical sweetness um the can it's themed after Rocco from Rocco's Modern Life so it has the little wallaby beyond there and then has like the the print that was on his shirt um all the beers that they had for their uh third anniversary party were like based off of 90s tv shows and they had like a whole 90s themed party that night uh so look forward to the rest of them because yeah this one it's a nice drinkable Berliner um Picked up a four-pack of each of the beers I'm having tonight, and this was the one that I was kind of most looking forward to. Other twos are just IPAs, which we'll, we'll follow up on, but their IPAs never really wow me. Um, they do sours right, but their IPAs are, IPAs are always just good, drinkable beers. But, Paul, what you got? You know what? Uh, talking about not liking their IPAs, uh, I found that most of the time when I'm drinking non-alcoholic... Uh, the IPAs aren't especially great or good. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to try some uh, different non-alcoholic beers. And uh, Brooklyn Brewery 
put out a uh, 12-pack of their special effects non-alcoholic beers. Unfortunately, there are two different IPAs in that. But this week, for the podcast, I'm not going to drink any either of those two. I'm going to just go with the two that are in the... Uh, that are not the IPAs. And then one uh, beer from Athletic Brewery that I picked up that I'm really enjoying, and I'll talk about that one later. But for now, I am right now drinking pills from Brooklyn's special effects. Uh, less than 0. 0.0 point, or less than 0. 0.5 alcohol by volume. And this is uh, this is seltzer water in a can that they just say is a pilsner. This isn't... <laughs> this is... Um, this is, it's got nothing to it. It's got carbonation. And, uh, yeah. So far, not so great. It's, uh, worrisome. It's, it's worrisome. That's. I, I can't say that I've liked any of the Brooklyn NA stuff. Mm-hmm. And again, I've only had the, two, the, like the pale ale and the IPA that they did. Yeah. <clears throat> but I wasn't impressed by either one of them. Yeah. I was impressed that there was a full variety pack out. So I'm like, you know what? Why not? I'm on call. Uh, This is, uh, did not, I also picked up the athletic beer uh, that I'll be having. And I had one of those first. And that's all. And this is the last of the six pack that I have for the podcast tonight. So, and I've been on call since Friday. So I've been drinking those. And not these Brooklyn ones. So, yeah. <laughs> I think Athletic Brewery is where it's at when you get uh, non-alcoholics. Yeah, but maybe they, they may, seem- maybe they hoppy amber will we'll turn it all around here for Brooklyn. Who knows? You know, you got to keep an open mind. I don't think so. You never know. It could do it for you. And what's doing it for you in the news this week? Paul. Uh, well, Josh here. <laughs> Uh, to the group, uh, the trailer for Thor Ragnarok. But Chris, you shared a trailer for the uh, upcoming no, WoW we can go, we can expansion. Go with, uh, with John first, because okay. he was ready to go. So, John, what's this trailer all about, bud? Well, I'm quite excited for the trail of Thor uh, Love and Thunder. Not Ragnarok, Paul. Oh, not Ragnarok. Uh, yeah, so... It's a sequel to Ragnarok, though, right? That, that yes. is true, yes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you have uh, Thor traveling around with the Guardians of the Galaxy. You got some really cool visuals. Some stuff, like, right out of the, right out of the comic books. Um, definitely a Thor who's trying to figure out his place in the, uh, the new universe. Mm-hmm. And you get to see uh, Jane Foster Thor as well in this. Um, and it seems it seems a little kind of up. I don't know if it's not upbeat, but like the trailer makes it sound like, hey, this is going to be a positive kind of Thor movie. And then you're like. Yeah, but the God Butcher's the villain, so there's going to be gods going left and right. Like, yeah, do you like that they kind of are keeping that like hidden for now? And they'll probably start to see more of that mm-hmm. in like the secondary trailer because, like you said, this one's very bright, very fun. It's such a sweet child of mine by Guns N' Roses. Uh, I I had just a smile on my face while watching this trailer, mm-hmm. and progressing through, I was like, oh, are they going to show 
gore or are they going to show Jane Foster? And they do show Jane as Thor at the very end. But also, I was just happy seeing Thor and Korg and like Valkyrie and Meek in the background. Um, I'm amped for this. There was rumors that we weren't going to see this trailer until Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness comes out. There was a rumor that this was going to be the post-credit teaser, kind of like they had with Multiverse of Madness at the end of uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. And I'm glad they put it out beforehand, because now I can just go back and rewatch this again and again, because there's a lot of stuff going on in a lot of those uh, scenes that they're showing off, and I kind of want to just keep going through and seeing what I can find out and what I can notice. It is the most... It is the fourth most viewed trailer in 24 hours, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. It does. But what's the first... That begs the question, what are the top three? I don't oh, know. I was just wondering. Probably like Avengers. I'm guessing yeah, like Spider-Man, because that one, I think, broke some mm-hmm. sort of record. That's okay. What... Um, Guardian of the Galaxy and Black Panther weren't those ones too. I think Guardian of the Galaxy had the most sold. Like Redbone became that song, uh, hooked on a feeling, it, like sold on iTunes with like top iTunes charts for some reason. Uh, after that trailer, came, well, not for some reason because the trailer came out. I think that was uh, Guardian of the Galaxy's trailer's claim to fame. But I do have to say, I think it's kind of crazy that now that. Uh, with the mighty Thor, uh, Jane Foster. So, oh, go ahead. I, so I have it for you, Paul. Thank you. Uh, Sp- Spider-Man No Way Home, mm-hmm. number one. Avengers Endgame, number two. Makes sense. Uh, Avengers Endgame final trailer. <laughs> so, so Avengers Endgame teaser trailer, number two. Endgame final trailer, uh, mm-hmm. number three. Thor would be number uh, four. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, The Rise of Power. Number five, Avengers Infinity War, The Lion King. So, yeah. Where's Morbius on the list? Um, it, they don't They don't have it on it's here. It's buried. Scrolling until you find it. Um, Paul, your okay. thoughts on the trailer? Uh, I think it's funny that now we get, like, a post-credit scene inside the trailer itself where it goes Thor, Love and Thunder, and then we get the Jane Foster reveal. It's like, really? A post-credit scene inside the trailer? <laughs> yeah, but that's that's been that's been happening in trailer. Uh, sorry, <laughs> John, John not to cut you off, have you found Morbius yet? No. You keep scrolling. Uh, make up a sir, number. Sir, sir, I'm, I'm going to need you to keep scrolling. The the thing is, we'll, sh- we'll is, check back in with John later on in the show. <laughs> I mean, you could look up what the sales were, uh, the ticket sales, and it probably would be more than what people watch the trailer. Probably, yeah. Well, the ticket sales, uh, not really news that we talked about, but uh, the opening for uh, Secrets of Dumbledore uh, came out, and it had its lo- it had its lowest. This is the lowest opening weekend. For a Harry Potter film or a Wizarding World film, uh, so not good news for not fans news, of the Fantastic Beast fans. I mean, I don't know if there really are Fantastic Beast fans out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a fan of Harry Potter and the Wizarding World, but 
this is definitely something I want to see. I'm looking forward to seeing it, but it's not a, oh, I need to get out there and see this right away. Like, Yanni still hasn't even seen the second Fantastic Beasts movie, so we were going to watch that at some point. And then I hear you. I hear you can. You could even skip the second one because the third movie rewrites a lot of the second movie. Mm. Which makes sense. Still wants to see it, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I just feel really kind of down about because the the franchise, because I really believe Newt's Commander, Stephen Kowalski, Stanley Kowalski. What's 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 this Kowalski's name? Yeah, I think it's Stanley. Um, um, Goldie and Rita. Not is it Tina? Tina. Tina. They're they're fantastic characters. I really enjoy them. I like all their interactions together. I thought it was a lot of fun in the first movie with them all interacting together. The second movie, how they kind of tear all of them apart, was kind of like, oh, come on, this is not what I'm coming to this movie for. And then they get an all into the following, uh, what's his name? Grindelwald. Kind of a, well, Grindelwald and also uh, Clarence. Uh, the kid. Sumbledore? No, the Credence. kid. Credence. Credence, Credence, not Clarence. Yeah, Credence, played by uh, what's his name? Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, and I'm like, I'm, I don't care. I don't like these two people. <laughs> I don't want to be there's, following there's them. There's a lot going against this franchise, just with the outside mm-hmm. influences, and on top of that, it's just it's not relevant really to Harry Potter. Like fans of that franchise. Love that franchise and those characters. And not to say there's nothing redeeming about those characters, because I'm right with you, Paul. Like, I really enjoy those people, and I think everybody in the movies does a great job of portraying them, but on its own, like, it's, it doesn't feel as epic mm-hmm. as Harry Potter, and it could just be, like, growing... I don't want to say growing up, because I was an adult when I read the first book. But progressing through those stories in novel form and then seeing everything kind of like build and grow. This mm-hmm. is just something that they're making as a movie. Like there's no like nostalgia for it. Right. So I think that might be another strike against it. Um, but I'll see it eventually. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited for it. I don't think this bodes well for the rest of the franchise or the proposed and heavily rumored uh, fantastic beast portion of the third universal park that they're building. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, time will tell on that because they could just still do it and just have it loosely themed after Fantastic Beasts, but have it be more Harry Potter slash Wizarding World in general. Yeah. Another trailer we got uh, just announced oh, yeah. today. And For a franchise that has been in a little bit of hot water and the other, world, you know, outside world kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, we got the official announcement and confirmation of the next World of Warcraft expansion, Dragonflight, which is going to be taking us to the long-lost and fabled Dragon Isles. Um, looks great. There's a lot of changes coming to the world of Azeroth and in-game stuff. Um, I love me some World of Warcraft. Paul, you've played on and off. Was there yes. anything from this trailer... That makes you kind of be like, oh, well, maybe I will dip my toe back in after taking, like, an expansion off. Like, is there something that you're like, oh, like, let me check this out. 
What was kind of crazy is uh, Shadowlands, you know, had so much promise for me. I'm like, oh, cool, we're going to explore the undead area of the world. It's it's going to be cool. And, you know, they had the different houses and everything that they showed off in the original Shadowlands trailer. And there, there was, like, a lot that I could sink my teeth in, even as a casual, like, World of Warcraft player. This one, I have no hooks in it. Like, because these dragons, I'm like, okay, but what are we doing? Like, are we helping? How are they're dragons? Do they need our help? But what what are we doing? Do you get to play as one of the stone men? Because that'd be cool. No, but you get, uh, they do have a new character race and class, which is basically like a dragon kin uh, type character. Okay. It was a cool trailer. I watched it. I was like, "Yeah, I'd, or, I'd watch. I'd watch this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just I was can since I'm kind of uh, fell out. I played the first patch of Shadowlands, fell out because of all the stuff, all the news that came out about Blizzard and Activision, and I was kind of like at the end of that first, you know, section of the of uh, Shadowlands that I just felt fell out of the grind of it. And then I haven't been back, and I haven't been keeping up with the story at all. Because most of the time, I, I'll then, like, at least keep up with the story of World of Warcraft and just see where, where it's at and then jump back in. But I've been out of it. And so I don't know how the dragons are coming, being a thing. Like, uh, I, I, I got nothing. So no, that, that's fair enough. I mean, they don't give you a lot to go off. Like, the cinematic trailers are always just kind of a thing to get you excited and yeah. hook you. And then later on is when they go over the plot and the systems, which they did have a like hour long, like primer after yeah. the trailer came out, just kind of like outlining everything that's going to be coming within the next year. Um, looks cool. Chris. Yes. Uh, uh, what, what are you excited about in, in this trailer or for this expansion? Um, Warcraft's just what I like to turn my brain off and like jump in mm-hmm. quest level collect transmog. Um, I think it's cool that in going forward, they're actually looking back at what people liked about the earlier incarnations of world of Warcraft, mm-hmm. where they're actually going to be bringing back talent trees. Oh, it's no nice. longer just like, Oh, I hit this level. Now I get this skill. You're going to have that customization option available to you where after you level, like you can kind of build your character how you want. But then if you're respecting to like, a, a different uh, specialization for your class, you can have a separate talent tree for that one. So it's going to make switching between um, your specs easier for like, oh, if I'm soloing stuff versus going into raid, going into dungeon, which I, I like. And this is all feedback that they had gotten that people wanted to see. Like they want that customization. They want to have the ability to make their character how they want. So it's not so cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. That does sound good. And the I'm, dragon, I'm an, I'm the dragon fan is out, sounds cool. Give me talent trees, I'm happy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I've been yeah. I've been playing through uh I, I loaded back up uh Star Wars uh The Lost Jedi. Or not the Lost Jedi. What is it called? Fallen Fallen Order. And that has a talent tree, but you just unlock everything on the talent tree. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> 
Is it really a tree? Yeah, but at you this can time? pick and you can pick and choose where you want to go. Right. Because like when I did that, I went all like fighting stuff and like a little bit into the force, and then you can wrap around. Like you can pick and choose where you want to where you want to put your strengths as a Jedi. I think I have like five things not selected right now. Like because you get so many points. Now, I am playing it in, like, casual mode, so maybe that's the thing where I'm just, you know, leveling You're up. just collecting those points. I'm collecting those like ability points. Are you hmm? kind of, are there side quests and things? Are you just, like, doing all the ancillary content and just kind of just beefing your character up? Or is, I, I've never played I'm, it, so I don't know. There, there doesn't seem to be that many side quests, but there is, you know, there it's like, um, kind of like tumor. You can just keep ring. going... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. What's that, John? I, I was I was just like, you can keep just going back to a world and starting from the beginning. And sometimes, if you get a certain place and you got to turn the game off, you only you go you go you'll be reset back and then have to redo it and then and you need to keep going back to worlds because now it's kind of like our. Like Arkham City or those games, like now I got the mm. foam where I can mm-hmm. spray and break this. It's like now I can run on the wall so I can get around this corner and unlock these different things. Mm-hmm. Me- like Metroidvania. Metroidvania and like Tomb Raider because it's all, it's mostly about trans- uh, traversal. You know, okay. it's all about mobility and getting, and getting the, the unlocks. Now I can climb this kind of wall, you know, now I can breathe underwater. Now my robot can open these boxes, and I can open this box, or open this gate and turn this Ugh, Those robots always taking our jobs, opening boxes and turning gates. <laughs> uh, I just re-downloaded uh, Red Dead Redemption Ooh. 2, and I'm restarted the campaign and playing that again. I've, I haven't played it, but I've been looking into a lot of stuff about Elden Ring, because I've heard nothing but great things about that game. And I really think I want to play it. I I was talking to some I'm very very casual player now. I've been playing most games, I've been just putting on an easy and just being like I kind of want more of the story mode and to kind of just play a little bit. I don't want anything too challenging. And I was talking to somebody about Elder Rings. I was like I have an hour to maybe an hour and a half every other night. To maybe put into the game. Do I want to get sucked into this? And he's like, you're going to get sucked in. And I was like, uh, oh, what was what was the... Um, Skyrim? Oh, Skyrim. Mm-hmm. I was like, Skyrim, like, I had a situation where I was, like, up early in the morning playing the game. My roommate left. And then my roommate came back, and I was like, did you forget something? And he's like, no, I've been gone for nine hours. And I was like, I haven't eaten anything all day. <laughs> like, what? Oh. And then, like, I got up and went to the bathroom for the first time in, like, ten hours. I was like, oh, jeez. That was that sucked my life from me. There was only so Cheeto I'm, dust that came out. Oh, my God. So I'm worried about that kind of game because I don't want to be like, oh my god, it's six in the morning. I wake up now mm-hmm. because I played it all night. Uh, I'm okay with that happening. I can, I can bounce back. I'm fine with it. We have very different <laughs> lives. <laughs> uh, but something that we do have in common is we're both fans of 
Guardians of the Galaxy and the MCU and Marvel Comics. Um, we already talked about the Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind Coaster uh, opening up end of May. But Disney did announce the soundtrack for the movie. Or, well, the, the ride. Movie scenes in it. Um, six songs appearing. You don't know which song is going to be playing on your coaster car when you get on. So it's kind of like it, every time it will be something different. A uh, rewritability factor. Uh, songs included are September by Earth, Wind, and Fire, Disco Inferno by The Tramps, Congo by Gloria Stefan, Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears, I Ran by Flock of Seagulls, and One Way or Another uh, from Blondie. I think there's some great songs on here. I think there's definitely some I'd like to hear more than another if I get on there. Mm -hmm. uh, and it plays Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I'm not going to be as excited as One Way or Disco Inferno, but uh, I like that they're bringing that little piece of Guardians of the Galaxy into the actual coaster with just that fun 70s, 80s pop music. That's yeah. all I got. It's, it's not like a, a big discussion thing, but something I'm excited for. Yeah. Something to look, uh, look forward yeah. to. It makes you feel like you're in... that you're in, in the movie, and that's what you're supposed to have. And no. you're, you're in a Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Would, Does it feel like a Guardians of the Galaxy? Well, time will tell. Time mm -hmm. will tell. But you know what else time will tell? What our next beer is? We didn't talk about who's going to go first. So, and Chris, who, what are you drinking? Uh, I went first last time. Uh, my next beer from Ellipsis is uh, an 8.5% uh, double New England IPA dry hopped with Talus Enigma and Cryo and Citra hops. And this is the Johnny <laughs> Bravo-themed man, I'm pretty. Um, his... His hair is actually like a hop cone. Hop. You, pay attention Ooh, to. you can, um, can see it. Like my previous statement, uh, this is a dry hopped IPA. It's fine. Um, I do like the pineapple lemonade Berliner better, but this is a good IPA. I mean, am I going to finish it? Yes. Am I going to finish it right now or tonight? Maybe. We'll see. Um, it does have that nice dry hop to it. It kind of covers up what you would normally expect from like that sweetness from a New England IPA. But it's not bad. Not my favorite from them, but most of their IPAs are not some of my favorites. When we were there, they were good IPAs. Yeah, they're, they're but there wasn't... And, and like... You you gave me fair warning, and I was like, well, what about this IPA or this IPA? And you basically were like, they're all going to basically taste the same. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So I looked for those ones that was like, okay, this has got this hop, or this has got coconut, or this has got this, and that that's kind of how I gauged what I got. But their dark beers and their sour beers were oh yeah, just on, on point. Um, mm -hmm. When I was there, we did their marshmallow peep beers that they had for Easter, um, just as like the samplers. After that, I did an IPA Pilsner, and then I just wanted something different. So I had their Russian Imperial stuff, the uh, Dinosaur Chaps, which is absolutely fantastic. I believe that was on tap when I went down. Yeah, I think they had that too. 
amazing. And then after that, I did their brown. And, you know, all good. But they just do those darker beers and sours so well. Paul, the amber, is it working? No, it is not. Uh, it's missing all the maltness, the uh, rich malt flavor, you know, something darker. It's It's got a little bit of a pop of a hop uh, to it, you know, and this is a Brooklyn uh, special effects. Hoppy amber. 95 calories. They're very, they're, they're quick to point that out right on the top of the can. So, um, but again, this isn't anything more than like hop flavored water, which I could buy instead, but I bought this. So this isn't, uh, that great either. It does quench your thirst though. So that's good. So, you know, if you're, you know, dying of thirst, this wouldn't be the worst thing to drink. But if you're looking for a replacement for a beer, uh, you know, not really. That it. is not a. I mean, if it comes down to this beer, being kicked in the nuts. I mean, I guess you could drink this. You know, if if it was a Waterworld situation, which is a movie I've never seen, I'd just go off the stand up. I'm surprised you've never I'm seen. Pretty. Sh- you mentioned Waterworld last episode too. This could just well, be a thing where Paul talks about something. Just to have something to talk about with people, but he doesn't know what it actually is. Exactly. It's just, I, I know it through the Dean the Carvey stand-up. Um, you know, this wouldn't be bad to drink in a, in a uh, water world situation where you're surrounded by seawater or this. Like, Comes down to drinking that or Kevin Costner's pee. <laughs> you drink this. It's gone through a little filter system, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also, he's a fish man, so shouldn't he be okay? He's, he's just a to, like, fish jump man. back into the water. Drink the salt yeah. water, right? Mm-hmm. I need to revisit that movie. I haven't because, like, fish, like, aren't fish taking the water in through their mouth and then they filter them out there, their gills? There is that. That's what say, it, they do say. Drink like a fish. So I'm assuming they're drinking and breathing. I got a lot of questions about Waterworld now. Well, I have a question for you, John. What? What comic book are you looking forward to? <laughs> Sorry, I have. Let me let me do that one more time. Um, we're just gonna re- rewind the tape. I have a question for you, John. What? Where's Morpheus in the list? <laughs> <laughs> comic book trailers. Um, no, I, what know, comic book I, are you looking just, forward to coming out? I just keep scrolling, and it's just not coming. April twenty seventh, twenty twenty two, John. What you got? The British Paranormal Society. Uh, this is a Dark Horse comic book written by Mike Mignola. This is Art, okay. Or, uh, when you said this before, I was like, "Oh, it sounds like a Hellboy takeoff." Does it have anything to do with Hellboy, or is it just? I think it's characters that have appeared in BPRD or some other book that he has written. So instead of BP. Ooh, excuse me, BPRD. It's BPS. BPS. Mm. You gotta, you gotta support the BPS. Uh, uh, with Chris Robertson and art by Andrea Muti. Muti. Um, and this covers two paranormal investigators that go to this 
separately go to this town who then end up joining forces, even though they don't like each other, to figure out what's going on in this crazy town. Uh, But hear me speak about Mike Mignola later in the show. Okay. Good tease. Good tease. Yeah. Uh, Guys, you know what's a great drop from God point? Number seventy-five. I'm sorry, Chris. Did you want no, to go? Because um, I just I Google something quick. Because the oh. one of the main characters in this Simon Brutenholm sounded familiar, so I just Googled it. And Trev- Google just heard me say something that sounded like Hey Google. Um, Hellboy's adopted father is Trevor Brutenholm, so I think this is a prequel ah. like, lead up to Hellboy, possibly. Nice. Yeah. I thought it was isn't it I thought it was Professor Broom. Well, maybe he shortened it when he you know, just to make it easier or you know, a little hellboy to pronounce. Um uh Trevor Brutenholm, uh expert of the occult and first former director of the BPRD. Family Hellboy, adopted son. Hmm. Played by John Hurt. That's true. He didn't play. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Paul. Number 75. Great place. Number 75 of Justice League. And this starts this oversized special issue written by Joshua Williamson uh, kicks off the event for the DC Universe, the death of the Justice League. Uh, yeah, that's right. And there's a dark army of uh, the DCU's biggest villains that uh, coalesce at the edge of the multiverse and they come together uh, to to take over our universe or the Justice League's universe. And uh, we got to we, we got to see how how the, I guess the Justice League comes back to life after their death. So there we go. Guys getting excited? Yes. Um, if this is something that you bring for look back, I would probably read it. Um, 599, 48 pages. I would check it out. I haven't read a Justice League book in a few years. I can't remember the last time I actually did buy one. It might have been the the relaunch that led up mm-hmm. to this number 75. I think it was being done by uh, Jeff Johns and like Jim Chung. Check, or No, was it? It might have. Was it Brian Michael Bendis writing it? I don't remember now. Uh, it's been a while, but I don't know. It's Brian Michael Bendis is the last time we, I think we read it. And it was the introduction to Naomi, I think. Okay. I would check this out, though. Yeah. Uh, John, you already talked about your book. I'm going to go next. Uh, I'm also looking forward to a final issue of something. And this is uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, number five. Uh, written by Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles co-creator Kevin Eastman with art by Ben Bishop. Uh, this is the finale of the last Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story with Michelangelo being the sole inheritor of the role Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle and his attack back on the Foot Clan that took out his entire family with uh, Casey Jones. Not the Casey Jones you're thinking about. It's actually his and April O'Neil's daughter. You've heard us talk about the previous issues of the series in multiple episodes of our monthly look back. 
I really like this take on the Turtles, this version of the story. It makes me want to read more Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I know I'm not going to like anything else as much of, as I like this. So I think I just kind of have to let this sit as a moment in time where I liked reading a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book and just let it be that. Because I don't want to take anything else in that's going to sour this experience. Yeah. Uh, I've really enjoyed all of it. I think I didn't read five. So five five, have five hasn't up. come out yet. So oh, I thought this was six. No, this is five. Oh, this is five. Oh, then I didn't read four. For some reason, I thought you said this was issue six. Yeah, issue five, the finale. Mm. Finale. Mm. You were looking at your phone. You might have heard something else. Yeah. Well, I thought you said pre-show. It was number six. Mm. It's okay. He said. He said five, but that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay, guys. It's okay. John, you, you got plenty of chances to read something else. Mm-hmm. And now, a dramatic reading from the Bagden Boardcast as a world's finest, number one, page 35, panel seven. The doctor will see you now. And that was a dramatic reading from world's finest, number one. Page 35, panel 7. Nice and easy. And that, yeah, nice and easy. That panel's going up right now onto our Instagram, so if you want to see it, it'll be right there. Just follow us over at Bag and Board for all of those, as well as our picks for the list and our episodes when those get posted. Be the first to know if you haven't subscribed already. I kind of picked that not so much at random, but because this week I got a call from my doctor's office saying that they haven't seen me in a while, and they're going to drop me as a patient if I don't go in for an annual checkup. And I'm like, yeah, the world's been on fire, and everybody's sick all the time. What do you want from me? When, Yeah, I missed my appointment last year, and, well, we haven't seen you since, uh, since 2020. I'm like, yeah, but that was like... August of 2020. So it hasn't even been two years yet. Like, let's calm down on me not showing up for appointments. Like, pump the brakes there. Yeah. Especially when they were like, don't come to doctors unless it's an emergency. Exactly. So I'm like, you should have been like, oh, I've been there. I have hollow man syndrome now. He just didn't <laughs> see me. He didn't see me. It's because, uh, because I hate all that Kevin Bacon. Oh, that's a good one. It wasn't, but thanks. It was. It wasn't, but it was. Guys, we are burning through this episode. I'm not even ready for another beer yet. I am, but that's because hey, they're all non-alcoholic, hey, we, we and get, the, John, they haven't tasted like anything. So. John, are you ready to go with another beer? Or the main another topic? beer and the main topic. Yeah, I, I can do another beer. I'm a party right. animal. Well, you. <laughs> you get us started, yep. and I'll, uh, I'll be back with my next one. Well, I gotta go get mine, too, so put it down for a pause. Oh, you were ready. He's That's a party title, animal. Right? He's not prepared, though. That's the title. <laughs> he's not a Boy Scout. He's a party animal. Party animal. Sweet honey and grapefruit on this IPA. Ooh, mm. Spoiler. Mm. Three. Ooh, aftertaste of spam. Hey, it's a Hawaiian beer. <laughs> Three. Paul, oh, that would have been perfect. 
<laughs> and we, I mean, we're always recording, but yeah. you just go right into there. Yeah. So, John. <laughs> Might as well. You, you, you took a sip of your beer and just automatically had to start doing a review, even before we were recording. But, but we're always recording. But we're always oh. recording. So, huh. Grapefruit, honey, mm. and a little bit of spam, huh? A little after taste of spam. Uh, so, uh, I'm drinking Excelsior from Community Beer Works. This is a American IPA. They call it a no-coast style. So, you're going to get a little bit more of that bitter um, hops. You're going to get some of that juiciness. Um, and, yeah, this one's got a nice... Huh. Was that having an aftertaste of Spam? It should be all coasts for Hawaii. Ooh. It's got, it's like, a little bit of that butteriness on the palate but it is it's got this nice like honey malt grapefruit to it and we'll see if that spam comes back um but this is really nice i i don't know if you guys have noticed but i've really been enjoying uh community beer works beers Mm. and i think half of that is they're not just putting out hazy ipas they're running the gambit the gamut with their beers and I've been enjoy I've been enjoying that take on being a brewery and not just hazy IPA, hazy IPA, hazy IPA. Here, here's here's an IPA. You know, I had a cold cold IPA. I mm-hmm. had a pale ale, uh, Austrian style pale ale. You know, like they've been just putting out different things. Um, and this one's nice. This is this is like I can just I could just sit and sip on this. It's not like a super crusher. Like oh, I'm gonna chug this, but I could just sit out on the porch and just sip on this beer, reading a comic book, or or just staring out and watching all my neighbors walk by and glaring at them. <laughs> Stay off my yard. Yeah, glare, glare. You tell them. Yeah. So, uh, I'm drinking a beer that I've been really, really enjoying. This is uh, Athletic Brewery Company's Wits Peak. It's their non-alcoholic take on a Wits beer. Uh, and I might be suffering from a uh, condition that I used to suffer when I was a vegetarian. Um, where I hadn't had the real thing for so long. When I got introduced to a fake version that was somewhat close I thought it was very, very close until other people told me, no, Paul, you're eating styrofoam with bacon bits on it and thinking it's bacon. I just remember you telling me, doesn't this taste like bacon? And I'm like, one, I think you've overcooked it. And two, not really. And then you looked at me as angry as I've ever seen you be like, don't ruin this for me. It's like, all right, well, don't ask my opinion about stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't ruin it. Just say yes. So I'm thinking I, I might I might be suffering again from, uh, uh, or I remember from Ithaca Brewery, Groundbreak, their mm-hmm. spring, like, seasonal, wasn't, I don't even know what kind of beer it was, but it was flowery, it was full of flavor, it was a little spicy, um... Really love that beer. And and this beer is giving me the similar vibes. And this is, you know, just got a nice, it's uh, 
tells me the ingredients right here. You get uh, Vienna malt, wheat, mar- uh, malted barley, hops, spices, and yeast. And that combination of all those flavors is just, it's spring in a beer without the alcohol. It's mm. its just really good. Compared to everything else that you did. So you trailed off at well, the end. I just wanted to make sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really good. Period. Oh, full stop. Period. Even as a beer, it's... It, even if it wasn't non-alcoholic, this would still be a great, a, a really good spring beer. Does it have that kind of, does the malt kind of linger a little long? And since the alcohol is not there to cut it, does it have that, you know, non-alcoholic kind of aftertaste? Yeah. But up front, all this flavor is really good. Really enjoy Ground Break was a farmhouse ale. Mm. Farmhouse ale. So that. And. My phone's taking a long time to load this, but I did check into this beer, so it's probably like 2012, the last time we had that beer. It's, yeah, it's been a long time. I think that farmhouse wild yeast kind of flavor, you know, that gave it its notes. For whatever reason, I'm getting, you know, just maybe with the spices and the, the barley and the wheat together. It's just, you know, I'm really enjoying it. This is the last of the six-pack that I bought, and I was trying to save these. So Nice. But, you know, Athletic Beer Brewing Co., you know, they're just like for non-alcoholics, whatever they, whatever kind of specialty release they're going to have, I'm going to follow them no matter what they do. Much like some of the creators that we're going to be talking about, right, John? I was trying to... Oh, uh, Chris, Chris, you actually didn't, didn't grab another about... beer? I'm sorry. I thought I thought you didn't grab another beer. Well, I got up, and I got it, and I came back and was talking to you about the title. Party Animal. Chrissy, you looked just like my son. Can you say, no, it's not as snotty as a little three-year-old could? I don't think I can, because I just want to laugh. Um, <laughs> so, maybe maybe Sorry, later. Chris. Maybe, maybe later. We'll, we'll see if I can circle back to it. Um, my third and final <laughs> beer for the night, also from Ellipsis Brewing. Uh, this is their How Rude. And this is oh. a, another... New England oh. double IPA. Uh, this one brewed with Eldorado, Amarillo, and Centennial hops, but then dry hopped with Citra and Mosaic. Um, again, very 90s themed. This one is uh, Full House. Uh, be- again, how rude. And then it has like one of Uncle Jesse's pink bunnies there. Uh, then on the other side, it has the cut it out like, mm. hand signals. Um, but why the lips? I don't know. Okay. 90s stuff. I can't I can't tell you. Uh mm. I will say this one also not one of my favorite beers from them. It falls into that IPA trap. I will say though having this one right after the Man I'm Pretty while they are very similar beers, they both do have different flavor profiles like the process through which they dry hop and what they used to dry hop did impart some differences in this beer with how um, how rude it's a little bit more of like a sweeping in dry hop flavor on it where mana pretty just kind of like comes at you with that dry hop bitter on the front um, so well done for that because they could easily have just taken the same beer and just done it differently with different hops different dry hopping um, the fact that they can take these two beers and have them kind of stand alone good on you for that I don't like either one of these as much as I liked 
the what in the hello, the the Berliner. And that's also maybe just me as a beer drinker. You, your mileage may vary. You might like these more than that. But where I'm at right now, I, I love me some sours. It's my, my bread and butter. That good for the summer. They're great what do you- for the summer. If, if you see a sour on the shelf, will you pick it up? Uh, much like a comic book creator's name on a comic. <laughs> uh, talking about bread and butter, what are your <laughs> artists and writers' bread and butter? Like, which ones do it for you? Huh? Huh? I mean, th- yeah. those, those were both great solicitations. Um, <laughs> so is Paul's first one when he forgot to throw you to the... That's yeah, the, that's sorry. true. That's the Dark Horse one. Um <clears throat> I'm at the point now in my life where I have my go-to books and there's the stuff that I do want to try, but I'm finding myself being a little bit more hesitant to try <laughs> unless it's a character or a creative team that I I know has like a proven track record. And John, like when you kind of pitched this, that's kind of what you were thinking. I don't think you said it on the show, but do you want to say what your thought process was for soliciting this as a oh yeah um so a couple weeks ago when i picked the steve niles um comic book chris chris said like yeah he deserves it and i was like yeah you know he does and then it made me think well well that could be a good topic for us like those writers and artists that we really like, and we like, yeah, you know what? They've deserved it. They've given us enough good mm-hmm. uh, stories that it's like, yeah, anytime I see them doing something, I'll pick it up. Um, not to take anyone's, but Mark Wade is kind of like that. You know, like I see Mark Wade's name on a book. <laughs> I, I know, like, I know that it's going to be, it's going to be good. And, mm-hmm. Two episodes ago when we did Mark Wade's, you know, World's Finest, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it just was like, yeah, this guy's he just knocks it out of the park. He he just does that. And that wasn't one of my picks. I'm sorry if I took somebody else's, but, you know, like, that's kind of the, that on top of what Chris had said was those things that just like, yeah, like, it's a no brainer. I see an artist or I see a writer's name on a book. I'm going to, I'm going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, no. I was just going to say, did somebody want to start? Because no, you had you had thrown it to me, and I just kind of wanted to break into well, what we were going to, the thought process behind it. And for me, not everything I've read from this writer has been a knockout, but I've liked more than I've disliked, which kind of makes me say, like, oh, if I see his name on something, I'm going to be picking it up. And that's Kyle Higgins. Um, I'm a huge fan right now of his radiant black corner of the image comics universe, but he's also done a lot of other stuff that I've really enjoyed from working on gates of Gotham with Scott Snyder over at DC comics. Uh, when we had the new 52 relaunch all those years ago, he was actually heading up nightwing, uh, before it had the jump where he got shot in the head and forgot who he was. I can't remember who was writing that. He was an agent of Spiral, right? During that run? Or is that after? That was after. Tom King was agent of Spiral. Um, We did not like his Darkhawk from Marvel Comics. But 
also we read Darkhawk, and then right after that, read Radiant Black. We're just like, oh, this is a no. We read we read Radiant Black first, did we? And then was like. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, ah, this is like okay. trying to be Radiant Black. And you were like, it's the same writer. I was like, wait, how can these be such separate books? One really good and one really bad. Gotcha. I, yeah, I had the the timing mixed up there. But on that note, though, he's had more hits for me than misses. And the fact that he's kind of heading up his own little universe right now with Radiant Black. And there's spinoff books and sequel books. Uh, he's, you know, executive producing and curating that. And I appreciate that. That makes me want to check out more from him because he does have that overview that a company trusts him to kind of spearhead a little mini event or publishing imprint on their dime. Like that's a huge vote of confidence. And I just, I'm enjoying it. So, yeah, sign me up. Kyle Higgins, my my, uh, my first pick. Paul, you got a first pick? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Mark Wade since we already <laughs> talked about it. Uh, no, uh, because, you know, that when you put up this idea, like, I was also picking World's Finest, number one, that week. And I'm like, because it's Mark Wade on a book. Like, we got to give it a shot. It's his return to D.C., and I think I have to have the caveat for all these creators is I'm not a person that's going to jump out of my comfort zone when I'm buying a comic book. I've never really have been like there's very, you know, I'm just don't like I There's very few independent books that I like. <laughs> so you got these comic book creators. Habibi really, yeah. really cut you, yeah. cut you at the D's on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, that was uh, Craig Thompson, who I... Who would have made the list ten years ago? <laughs> but had he not written Pibby, Pibby. Pibby. exactly. Um, what was I saying? So sorry, sorry. Oh no, no, it's okay. No, it's good. Um, oh, uh, these comic book creators like Mark Wade usually then circle back and do comic books that I'm interested in reading. Like their milieu is part of. <laughs> Part of who they like are uh, part of who they are as comic book creators is because they pick projects that I would be interested in. Mark Wade, you know, did his stint over at Boom. I'm not going to follow this stuff over at Boom. Just irredeemable and um, isn't isn't a book for me. But he circled back and went over to Marvel and wrote some great books there. And now he's over at DCM. Couldn't be happier that he's there and this world's finest. You know, it's Batman and Superman. Hey. Good. I'm excited. So, John? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I My pick for this, <clears throat> you know, I have I have uh, several on mine, but Jason Aaron uh, talking about Thor, um, Love and Thunder. Like, Jason Aaron, who I'd read some of his independent stuff, some of his more darker stuff, but when that guy wrote Thor, and I absolutely was like, oh, I love this character now because he's writing it. And then his entire run was just superb, even taking away Thor's power, making Jane Jane Foster. Um, all of that stuff was great. 
But this guy got me to love Wolverine and the X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, there's no reason why this book should work and why I should love it. But it was like, oh, yeah. And then he did um, <clears throat> he did an X-Men book again where it was like, I'm putting a team together and they're tracking down and finding Nightcrawler and bringing him back. It's going to be weird swashbuckling hell stuff. Okay. Uh, Iceman's melting in hell. Okay. Like, it still just, like, works. And he finds a way to make it work that when I see Jason Aaron's name on a book, I take another look. I read what it's about. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's Doctor Strange. And it's great. And you're like, yeah, this is, again, a character I never really cared about now it's a really interesting take on that character. Um, yeah, Jason Aaron. Nice. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can agree. Yeah, you. I mean, you're the one that kept going, this is a great Thor book, and then me going, well, Paul says it's still really good. I got to keep mm-hmm. reading it. And yeah. yeah, picking up and reading it. So, John, this is your baby. Do we want to go with artists next, or do you want to keep yeah, going? I'm with- good with... No, let's let's flip flop them back and forth. Snake draft. So you go with your uh, your artist there, John. Sure. Uh, I'm going to say Chris Omni. Mm. Yep. I again, Chris Omni is someone who I had seen before, I had liked before, but it was actually his work with uh, Mark Wade mm-hmm. uh, when they did Daredevil together, and then it's like, man, that's really great. And then he did. Um, Black Widow with with Mark Wade, and then when he worked with um, Brian K. Vaughn on Paper Girls, I was just like, yeah, Chris Omni, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I love this guy's style. I'll continue to read it. And isn't he doing? He was doing the the Kung Fu one with um, Firepower, mm-hmm. Firepower, and it was like again, Robert, like okay. it wasn't Robert Kirkman that sold me on that book. It was Chris Omni, and. Uh, yeah, Chris Omni is just I will I will definitely anytime I see Chris Omni's name on a book, I know the art's gonna be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he's been pretty good about who he picks to work with. And the story that interests him um will probably interest me. And it saddens me that I don't have any art from him. Like mm-hmm. I don't have a sketch or I don't have um, a page or anything, and I would really love to get that at some point. I feel like that would be a pricey page, too. Oh, it's going to be a really pricey page. That's why I said, I wish I had, before he got (laughs) super famous, gotten that. Yeah, like when he was working on, uh, what, The Alpha? Was that the name of the book? Yeah, that was the one with... um, I remember, was it DC or was like one of their off-prints? That was the one that was written by Pete Tomasi. Yeah, Pete Tomasi, yeah. And, yeah, he was doing it. And it was basically another super, an Asian Superman uh, kind of story. It was good. Uh, Chris Omni d- did also make my list. Uh, so I- I'll just parrot everything you said, John. I do have a thing with the artists, though, where I'm like, I it's like always a like, oh, cool, they're on it. It's not, I have a hard, t- more of a hard time following them. Also, I haven't been paying much attention to, like, the 
I don't get solicitations. And since we haven't been going to comic book conventions, I don't keep up with what's coming out. Like when I saw World's Finest number one come out and it was Mark Waid on the book, I was genuinely surprised. And I'm like, yes, let's go. Like if I didn't click on the link, <laughs> like I would, it would have just passed me by. And I think I, I fall more prey to that with artists now than even writers. Um, so I'm not even sure which book Chris Sobney is currently working on or if he is even working on. Cause I was like trying to think of like, um, one of the people that came to mind was Francis Manipal. And I don't yeah. know if he still works in comics anymore. I think he does. I think he does a lot of just like covers he, he and does. like mm-hmm. <clears throat> writing. Yeah. He's been doing a lot of writing. So, but Chris Sobney, I, I at least knew was still mostly current. So I'm like, all right. So, Chris, uh, I'm going to move away from who I was going to pick because I feel like I'm pretty secure in my pick there where nobody else can, like, sneak it. Uh, but I'm going to go with another Toronto-based mm-hmm. artist, just following up on your, like, talking about Francis Manipal. And that's going to be Marcus yeah. Toe. Toe, yeah. I talked. Uh, I had him on the list. I crossed him out because I couldn't, because I was trying to look him up because I didn't know if he was current or not. He is still working on interiors. Um, the thing is, I'm not necessarily going to pick up every book that he does because he's one of those artists that he does a lot of stuff that I like, but there might be some things that maybe just might not interest me. And I know that's kind of flying in the face of what you solicited, John. Um, but for the most part, he does a lot of books that I want to pick up. Um, I've brought multiple books to the table from him. Uh, not just like his Marvel or DC stuff, but some of his independent stuff like Joyride when we've talked about that. Uh, that, that was his idea. That was his like creation. Mm-hmm. And he's earned my attention that if he does do something like that, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to check it out. I have multiple pages from him that I hang on my wall because I love his artwork so much. And it's just that bright expressiveness and that like flair that he brings to the page that I think if I see his name on a book, it might not be something that I necessarily want to pick up, but I'm going to notice that he's on something. Even if you guys didn't like Excalibur, like I'm still going to pick that up because yeah, it's Marcus Toe doing, well, the art was good. <laughs> this work is so doing like the next men book. Like, what's not to like? Apparently, everything for you guys. But yeah, <laughs> I have to say, when I see a Marcus Toe drawing of a superhero, it is almost that. Um, what is it? The Euclid, Euclidean, you, the 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 uh, you know the the standard of what I imagine that character to look like. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You kill you killing? There's some word. I, I, I don't know what the word you're looking for is, but utilitarian. No, it's it's ukulele. Yeah, kind of like that, but not. Yeah. I'll look it up and then uh, tell you as soon as we get the name of uh, the number. Uh, uh from uh, yeah. Paul. I I know it's something that I like to do. I give you permission, like. You can let someone else start talking about something and then just jump in because what you have to say is more important. Like, have at it. This is your show too, bud. Okay. Uh, what I was thinking of is not the correct word. <laughs> it is uh, 
Euclidean, which is uh, <laughs> Euclidean, which is uh, an ancient Greek math- mathematician, Euclid, and it's uh, dealing with like uh, geometry. Oh, dealing with oh, the little man in the boat. Yeah, we know. <laughs> Euclidean. No, what? No, it, it deals. It means like. Okay, no, it's 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 close though because it's like Euclidean shapes <laughs> are like the the uh, yeah it's close you know are, are like the There's, it's got the, the standard hood, right sh- <laughs> are the standard shapes Euclidean you know who goes know. next John John did you go uh, Chris you haven't gone <coughs> I have not are, are we going right. back to writers. <coughs> Writers, yes. Um, I had a huge... Paul, you didn't need to send it to us. <laughs> the definition of the I'm word. I'm afraid to open it. Um, so I had a big burger for dinner, and it made me kind of flummy and gross, and now I'm suffering with that. Um, my next writer is actually someone that is going to be teaming up with my next pick for an artist. Um, but this is actually going to be Tom Taylor. He's handled a lot of, like, ancillary books. Like, nothing that's huge, like, mainstay, like, top-tier, like, Batman. But he's written, like, Batman Secret Files or Batman Detective Comics. Um, He's currently handling um, uh, Seven Secrets, which is consistently one of my favorite books. Um, There's just a great care that he puts into writing his characters and I know this is probably a hot take but I put Seven Secrets right up there with Saga as just family driven like sci-fi fantasy book Um, and I prefer seeing him on that kind of book to something like a Batman or um, like a Detective Comics because he can tell a story that has weight, but his is a name now. If I do see it on a book, I'm going to be like, oh, Tom Taylor, because before he was on that list for me, there were books that we were picking up and I was reading. I'm like, oh, this is really good. Who is? Oh, Tom Taylor. And I should have just started paying attention at that point. Yeah. No, um, I've liked all the little stuff. The more indie stuff that I've I've seen him do, but yeah, he's definitely a name that when I see it, I do a double take. I read the solicitations. I see if it's interesting enough for for me to do. So yeah, I don't remember who goes next. Is it Paul? Do we we, we loop uh, back or does I'll, it go someone else? I'll, I'll go. I'll go yeah, next. Your rules, man. Uh, so I'm gonna do who I mentioned in the list, uh, Mike Mignola. Uh, someone whose art I absolutely love, but he doesn't do art anymore. He's kind of created his own little world in Dark Horse and just keeps playing in that sandbox. And every time he does something within that sandbox, uh, I'm usually always picking it up. There's been plenty of Hellboy and the BPRDs that I haven't been picking up. Um, but sometimes when I see the artist's name or I notice one of his offshoot books... I pick them up, I read them, I have a great time with them. I love the 
dark fantasy gothic kind of thing that he creates. And I do really love it and enjoy it. And it's something that like you just you you always get people being more darker than he does. And sometimes his stuff's kind of dark, but it still has this brightness to it or humor or just something. And like even Chris, when you picked up that Gollum book, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm down for reading this. And uh, yeah, Mike Manola is just. I know exactly what I'm going to get from his stuff, and it delivers what I want from it. Ooh. And I love his art, but he doesn't do yeah, anything. His covers, he, he has such a distinct style that you see it on the cover of something like, oh, this is a Mignola book. Like, I I can tell. Uh, yeah. Gotham, I guess. Like, I got the original. Awesome. I, orig- I got the original first printing here 1989. Paul. Hmm. I am going to go with uh, Dan Slott. And this is uh, one of those comic book creators, again, that just, like, picks, always seems to pick books that I'm going to be interested in. From the first thing that I read from him way back in the day, which was his miniseries of The Thing, that then I went back and read his She-Hulk, or maybe She-Hulk came in after his The Thing run. I think the She-Hulk came first. Yeah, and then, but I read The Thing first, because that's when I was getting into comics, and then went back read the She-Hulk run. I didn't get into his Spider-Man run just because I'm not the biggest Spider-Man fan. And he did it for like 19 yeah. years. He was, it was like, he was the Spider-Man writer and is now like... He he was able to like retire from that because like, no, I, yeah. I told every Spider-Man story that you can tell. Like, I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> and he did... Um, he did the Doc Ock one, right? <laughs> With yeah, yeah, Superior, superior Spider-Man. Superior, because I really yeah. liked the, I really liked Superior Spider-Man and how he did that. <laughs> and now, now we found the Fantastic Four. So, uh, you know, and then I picked up Reckoning War number one because Dan Slott, Fantastic Four, let's go, big event, and it was kind of awful. But you know, <laughs> I picked it up. I tried it. They can't. They can't all be winners. They can't all be winners, and you know. He's got more hits than missing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Who, who goes yeah. next, Paul? Oh, then, then uh, what do I go for again? I, for the, I, for the, do. Yeah, you, you, oh, Paul. You go again for artist. Okay, I go. I'm just throwing. I'm just throwing yeah, it out yeah. there. I'm yeah, gonna, Paul, you go. I'm gonna go with uh, Francisco Francavilla. Uh, oh. Why the heck would I, Paul, <laughs> buy a book about zombies? There's no reason for that. There's there's no way that I would be interested in that book. Wait, it's being written. Uh, it's it's Afterlife with Archie. It's Archie comics zombies. All right, and what's the art? Wow, look at this art, guys. I am in to that universe because of because of uh, the art from uh, Francisco Francavella. It's so good, a lot of fun. Um. You know, you, he just he he's able to blend the style of the like nineteen fifties like characters, but with a modern and a modern take, and give us a like a retro horror vibe still. Yeah, but you introduced 
You introduced me to him, and I love his art. I follow him on Instagram, and he puts up different pictures all the time and just commissions he's been asked to do and just like, oh, man, I watched I watched this horror movie, and now uh, all I can think about is drawing this picture, and for the last three days I drew this, and he puts it up, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that is – that's an amazing thing, uh, not – Fantastic Four thing, but yeah. John Carpenter thing picture like no, it's awesome. Like I, I'm very glad that I was introduced to him by you, Paul, because I, I love his art. <laughs> it's why I picked up that Scott Snyder Ghoul book because yeah. it was like, oh yeah, he's on art and it's Scott Snyder. Yeah. Uh, the Night of the Ghoul. Yeah, Night yeah, of the Ghoul is the movie about the World War. Yeah, I. World I feel War II movie. It. It's it's all right. Mm-hmm. I picked up issue two and I was like, eh. <laughs> not great. It happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the art's good, Chris. The art's good. The art's great. Uh, am I Chris. doing artist still? Okay. Artist. I, I kind of lost where we were in the the rotation. Um, my next artist, I already kind of uh, gave a little precursor for who it's going to be. Uh, Co collaborator with. Tom Taylor over on Seven Secrets, and this is Danielle DiNiculo, and he doesn't have a lot of comic book art out there yet. He's done a lot of like variant covers for stuff because Seven Secrets is like his first actual comic book artwork. But going forward, like his is a name that if I see it on another like miniseries or ongoing, like hell yeah, I'm picking it up because everything he does jumps off the page so much in seven secrets that I want to see him bring that energy and heart to like whatever book he handles next. And I'm so thankful to have gotten in on the ground level for something like this, because I feel like I'm going to be watching another comic book superstar artist grow and like have that. Like it's not a one-to-one, but like that Steve Niles, like we're we saw him do stuff like Meridian and Marvel mm-hmm. Knights Four, and then shoot up to the big leagues. Um, I feel like I feel like I'm on the ground level for that right now. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, uh, and my next pick is going to be someone who actually we just recently found out that uh, he's actually a really good writer too, uh, and that's Sean Murphy. I love Sean Murphy's style. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something about it, just sketchy. I, I don't even know how to really. Do. It's Sean Murphy style, like. Um, but I really like it, and his writing fits his 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 vision that he does artistically fits his vision that he is writing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I mean the the White Knight stuff that we've read have all kind of captured that, but you know him being fill in artist on Scott Snyder um, um, Vampire book, American Vampire, American Vampire, um, the Wake that they did together, like that's kind of where I've I've seen him and I've picked up stuff his 
Acronauts and some other stuff. He did some Miller World stuff that I checked out the first issue of, but then it was written by Miller, so I was like, hmm, this isn't great. But the art's nice. I like it. Um, yeah, Sean Murphy. I One of the reasons I picked up that first issue of White Knight was because it was his writing, and I was very happy when I finished that story. Um, so, yeah. Nice. nice. And I will start yeah. the last writer. And uh, it's going to be Tom King. Uh, Tom King. I read a couple things before. He was kind of Tom King, Tom King. Um, Paul, you mentioned it like uh, Dick Grayson, Agent of Spiral, was one of those things that I was first introduced to him. But. His vision book, mm-hmm. I should it. I did not think I was going to like it, and by the end of that book, and by the end of our conversation about that book, I read the rest of the the, the second volume. Like I was there, I was there when he did Mister Miracle. I picked up, um, I picked up the um, Strange, so, um, yeah. Adam Strange yeah. book. Um, Strange Adventures didn't, yeah, couldn't get. I didn't quite get into that one, but I've been picking up the 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 Hitman book. He's got um, his human next target. one that he's Human Target. His next one he's going to be doing is the Creeper. Oh, okay. okay. And it's like, okay, I, I, I kind of want to see what he's going to do with that. Plus, he's been I dip my toe into his Batman stuff here or there. Um, I. I do really enjoy him, and when I see his name attached to something, it's going to be who is it and what is it going to be about, Mm -hmm. you know? He's been writing so much Batman that he's probably up there, not in my view of, like, Scott Mm Snyder-esque Batman stories, but he definitely was swinging for the fences with all of his stories that he's done. Um, Batman and Catwoman book... That we had started, I, like I, I like that, and it was one of those things I wanted to keep reading. It just it fell off my. They were super yeah. expensive. I, I was waiting for the trade. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, I was like, I'll just pick this up and trade. And um, yeah, he's definitely someone that I will check out. Every new thing that he does, I will take a look at it and go, yes, that's for me. No, that's not for me, but I probably will still give that first issue a try because I didn't think Vision was going to be for me. And I really, really like that book. Yeah, Vision was really good um, because it it wasn't what you thought like a normal superhero book would be. Yeah, and that's the thing with Tom King and the reason why he didn't make my list is because it's kind of like a magic trick he pulls off, right? Like... The first two issues, you're like still unsure about it's good. You're just not sure where it's going, and that's how I felt with both uh, with all three. His like this kind of his work of uh, the vision, taking an unknown character and and giving flushing it out with its own weird story. Mm -hmm. Vision, uh, Mister Miracle, and then uh, Strange Adventures, Captain. Captain Stranger, right? And Adam Strange. Strange. <laughs> He's a captain. Um, and the thing is, then I'm like, as I'm reading that, those, like, Strange Adventures, I'm like, I'm just waiting for the magic trick. You know, I'm waiting for the reveals. 
you know, uh, as a twist and turn setup. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'd rather read this in trade. And I'd only rather read this if I know it comes out all right. Because so I kind of think I, I, I'm kind of like uh, trying to trying to skip to the end with him instead of just enjoying the his writing style. I just want to see him. I just want to see the turns and the twists of everything, you know. I can see that. I I like being along for the ride. Mm-hmm. I do agree. I think I'd rather sit down and read his stuff <clears throat> as a trade. Mm-hmm. Sit down at all at once and read it all at once. Mr. Miracle was a little bit different. I really, really love that book. And the final issue was slightly a letdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Everything else has just been, I think it's just been great. And I think his stuff is almost just meant to be read in a full book form and not month to month to month to month. But he's also someone who picks the right artist to, to do his books. Like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have, um, uh, Mitch. I always want to call him, I always want to put a G L in it and call it Gerald. Gerards, thank you. Um, but you know, like working with him and Sheriff of Babylon was a book that I I haven't read. I've heard good things, but I I haven't gotten around to it. But they're just um, he picks the right the right artists to f- to feel his you know to make his books work as well. Uh, Chris, artist, writer, writer, writer. Oh, God damn. La- your last, last writer. writer. Um, for me, this is a writer that seems like he can do it all. Uh, we've read him most recently with his book, A Nice House on the Lake. John, you had picked his Something is Killing the Children recently for one of your picks for the list. Um, he's done a lot of big-name comic book stuff uh, with Batman, Detective Comics, and like pretty much anybody in the Bat family. Uh, this is going to be James Tinian IV. And it's not just because of that stuff that I'm picking him, but it's also those indie character studies that he can do to, um, like Wind, when we read that last year. Oh, yeah. For, I really like Wind. Yeah. Uh, for trading policy. Because he'll do something like the Joker's daughter and then a nice house on the lake. And then he can come out with something that's, like heartwarming, but still gun wrenching, like wind. And it's like, this is what comic books are for. Like you don't have to try to shoehorn everything into just like one book or one set. Like you can branch out and you can try and do different things. And I think he's a great example of a writer that can do that because if he wants to tell an all ages story, like wind, he can, if he's done another book over at, um, Boom Studios that we checked out years ago, Backstagers, where it was like the theater kids that go on an adventure that leads them into another world. And it's hard to believe that's the same book that's done by the guy that did, you know, a, a Joker uh, miniseries. Like, but he's got yeah. it. Like, he can do it. Or well, even the one where the high school kids get transported to that battle yeah. planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the woods. Yeah, that was him too. Yeah, James Tinney. And I mean, his run on Detective was really is re- was really good. That I ended up falling off of it just because I just it, it, comic books are hard to, to hard to keep up on. Like, 
I get um, it. But yeah, like James Tinian's definitely if I see his name on the cover, it's reading what it's about. But most of the I've I've learned that it's more, more hits just than this. <laughs> give you should just give it a try because it is like, oh okay, yeah. I get, all right, let's let's do this. Um so Chris, why don't you do your okay. final artist? Then Paul, then I'll I'll end. Uh, my final artist is someone that I've been following for years, and again, you might not pick up everything that he puts out, but if I see his name on something, I'm it's going to catch my attention, and I will check out that first issue, even if it's just for my own personal reading, not something to bring to the table for the look back. Uh, but that's going to be Patrick Gleason. Uh, hmm. When I think back to my favorite time on Green Lantern, it's going to be during that Green Lantern Rebirth and Green Lantern Corps Recharge era that set up basically everything that came after with Sinestro Corps War and the War of the Light. Um, and that was Pat Gleason with Pete Tomasi, like just knocking it out issue to issue, arc to arc. And he's gone on to such big things. So, continuing on to work on like Batman and Robin, doing amazing Spider-Man, and now he's actually stepped up, and he's writing, not just solely like working with a writer as an artist, but he's actually writing his own books now. And he put up a post on one of his is either his like Facebook or his Instagram that people were reaching out to him when they saw he was writing amazing Spider-Man for a minute. And they're like, Oh, like, are you comfortable writing? And he's like, you guys might not know this, but everything that I've been doing for a while has been such close collaboration with the writers that I worked with that this is just the next step. It's not a jump. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. I've been doing this and Hey, just enjoy it. And it shows like, he has like almost 20 years of storytelling under his belt as an artist and he's learned from some of the best. So yeah, Pat Gleason, love him. Yeah. No, I, I do too. Um, yeah, it was definitely like, it was his green lantern stuff that made me aware of him, but yeah, he's definitely got a great, he's got his own look. Yeah. It doesn't look like other people's art. And it, and, uh, I feel like he doesn't feel the need to fit into that, like house style of comics. Cause like he can do his green lantern book or his Robin book and it's not going to look like everything else. And that's kind of what draws me to his style because it's so reminiscent of like that, early 2000s, late 90s DC style that I liked, like Damian Scott on Robin or like Pete Woods on Robin. Um, that just big kind of like anime, like graffiti and spider style where it's like big, bold lines. Like everything's just like, I, I hate saying like bubbly because it makes it sound like childish or like, little kitty but everything is like so exaggerated that there's like a roundness to it but it's like a smooth like slick it's almost like roundness. a like a like a chubbiness yeah. they all have like a thickness but chubbiness it's, not to it. it's like yeah it just it works yeah, it, and he's got it it's I his style it. i love it yeah uh paul you go yeah uh i'm going with cliff chang yeah 
No, yeah. we just recently picked up Catwoman Ooh, uh, Lonely City. Yeah, Lonely City's so good. Uh, and he's the artist that was uh, that did On Paper, Paper Girls. Girls. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I like went to his website again just as soon as, to double check. As it. soon as you said paper, or as soon as you said Cliff Chang, I was like, oh, that's the yeah, yeah, not not Cliff Chang. But they they they're of the similar ilk, similar vein. Yeah. Uh, Cliff Chang use black well. Yeah, yeah. Use of shadows done really well. That t- kind of a timeless style uh, for comics. Really enjoy it. Uh, really, what brought me to to him was. Uh, his work with Brian Azzarello, of course, on Wonder Woman. His design work for all the gods was just amazing, incredible. You know, just so amazing. Is that little kid with that crown of candles melting is the creepiest thing? No ever. eyes. And it's, it's just his whole top of his head is just yeah. He's a candle candles. Yeah, the oh. Poseidon being this giant whale creature thing. Um, yeah, so inventive, so great. Um, I like, you know, if you go to his website or if you see him at a convention, he sells like, uh, they're called, I looked it up, 12 inch remixes, which is comic book characters on the covers of like vinyl records. Like, you know, he does the Batgirl. The Batgirl, Purple uh, Rain. Purple Rain. I love that yep. one so much. Uh, he did the Teen Titans like as, um. Breakfast Club. What is Exactly. Thank you. So, so. Uh, he, if I feel like we had done our favorite cover artists at one point, if we didn't put that one in the hopper, as something mm-hmm. to talk about because all those DC comic covers were like knockout because they were instantly recognizable and like mm-hmm. fun. Like that, that's what you pick up comics for. That'd be a fun one. Like our favorite covers. That's that's something to put in the hopper. Yeah. Put it in the hopper. John's, John's thinking about it now. I can, I can see the wheels turning. But John, I'm just looking at Cliff Chang's art. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, is that, is that it? Are we a wrap? No, it's I uh, I I I am the the last to go. I forgot. I, I lost track of everything here in this episode. I had somebody down, and then you started talking about Cliff Chang, and then it made me think about Ethan Van Skyver. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I really do love Ethan Van Skyver, but he, I don't feel like he's working right now. I don't now. think he's. I'm trying to remember. I saw him on something semi recently, but semi recently could be at any point within the last two years after time stopped making sense. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually going to go with someone who just popped on my radar, uh, and that's Dan Mora. Yeah. Oh, uh, hell yeah. With World's Finest. I was. I was blown away by his artwork. Um, it just really was like, man, it's crisp and clean. And it's there's lots of artists that are in that same realm as him. But he's just popping above them right now that I've just was like, man, I think I would check out whatever else this guy is doing or has done. Um, that Once in Future King book is one of the books that he's been working on. But I also like, I just popped onto his, like his Instagram feed with him putting stuff up and like some of the stuff on there is just like, Oh, that's really cool. Oh, that's really cool. Oh, that's really cool. Like it's, it's really nice. Even he's doing power Rangers books and it's like, Oh, those, 
Those are really cool. Different Power Ranger costumes. Like, he's definitely someone that I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to uh, read this. Oh, he did the penguin, um, the penguin uh, Catwoman falling yeah. in love mm-hmm. and stealing the thing. That was he a really good story. Work. I like that one. Danny DeVito wrote it. Uh, what does it all mean? But yeah, Dan Moore it was, and he was also kind of like in that genesis of why I kind of wanted to do this. Is he was like, I will follow this guy for the next couple books. To like, he might pick a bad writer, but his art's still gonna look great. Yeah, and if you think we're great, rate us and review us. If you think we're better than shit. Uh, rate us and if review us. We're better uh, than Paul's first two beers. <laughs> Email us over at bangborkas at gmail.com. Uh, we just do this for the love of it, but hey, thanks for listening if you do. Which you are, so thank you. You party animals. <laughs>